ESPN Radio. You are listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80, also streaming live over on ESPN+. Plus. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 p.m. Eastern time this evening. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet at us at Courtney R. Cronin at HDouglas83 at ESPN Radio. You can also hit us up on the phones, the number to get in, 888-729-3776, say ESPN. So you heard it there at the top of the show. The Nets lost game one of their Eastern Conference playoff series against the Boston Celtics, 115-114. It came down to a very smart play by Marcus Smart to pass up the open look to dish it to Jason Tatum for the win. But post-game, Harry Douglas, all eyes were on Kyrie Irving because of the antics, should we say. He decided to stoke the flames of the Boston Celtics fans where he played for two seasons, 2017 through 2018. He had several messages for his haters in Game 1 of the Nets playoff series of the Boston Celtics, many of which came in the form of double middle fingers and some choice words following the game. Let's hear from Kyrie Irving following the Nets loss on Sunday night on dealing with the fans at TD Garden. When people start yelling you and all this stuff, there's but so much you can take uh, as a competitor. And, um, you know, we're the ones expected to be docile and be humble and take a humble approach. Nah, that's the playoffs. This is what it is. You know, I, I've, I know what to expect in here, and it's the same energy I'm giving back to them. It is what it is. I'm not really focused on it. It's fun. You know what I'm saying? Like, like again, it's where I'm from, I, I've dealt with so much. So coming in here, it, you relish it as a competitor. And this isn't my first time at TD Garden. So what you guys saw and what you guys think is as entertainment or the fans think is entertainment, all is fair in competition. You know, so if some somebody's gonna call me out of my name, I'm gonna look at them straight in the eye and see if they really bout it. Kyrie Irving wants all of that smoke, and that's where we're going to start this afternoon. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Harry, what do you think about what he said as far as the fans and being able to dish back to them what they're dishing to him? I, I'll be honest with you, Courtney. I, I didn't. I didn't have a problem with uh, what Kyrie did. Now, the only problem I did have. Uh, is how many times he did it. Now, if he would have did it once or twice, it's all gravy. It is what it is. But to continuously do it over and over again, I didn't think that was necessary. But I love the fact that Kyrie is owning it and just saying, hey, this is why I did it. But on the flip side of that also, why even say anything in a press conference? You know what you did. You did what you did. Hey, it is what it is. I don't like them. They don't like me. We're going to go at it back and forth. It's going to be a hell of a series. It's going to be a hell of a game. Your best player defensively has to stop me and let bygones be bygones. But I like the fact that Kyrie is not shying away from the hatred that he receives from the Boston fans. And if it's one place you're going to receive that hatred, it's going to be in Boston. Trust me, I've been up there for opening day of a Red Sox game. I've been up there for a Boston Bruins. That's actually how I started getting to, got into hockey, mm-hmm. going to a Boston, Boston Bruins game. Um, went to a lot of games at TD Garden, and we know how those fans are when it comes to their sports team, and they're going to support them 100%. But at the same time, listen, Kyrie said, I'm going to throw a little bit little bit, 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 bit back at you. But he's not going into the stands and picking fights with people and things of, of that nature. He's just standing up for himself, and I like it. 
Kyrie Irving stealing a page from our book here on ESPN Radio. We have a segment during this time slot called Keep That Same Energy. We do it on this show from time to time. That was his message for the fans after the Game 1 antics uh, took center stage during the Nets' 115-114 loss to the Boston Celtics. Let's hear a little bit more from Kyrie Irving following the Nets' Game 1 loss about his exchange with the fans. Take a listen. From a basketball standpoint, yeah. do you feel like the hostility you get? There's no hostility, bro. It's basketball. When you were flicking some people off, I'd say that's some hostility. From what? What What point? Are you guessing that that's hostility? or like well, Hostility for me is like growing up. Well, we've never seen that from you this season where you are running down the floor flicking people off. This is the first time you actually caught it because it's a big-time game. I respond in different ways. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to focus on that. If you want to ask me questions about the fans, go ask them. Go on the street and ask them questions. All right? But I'm asking from your perspective, from a basketball perspective, do you feel like the hostility that you get? It's not from hostility, fans, bro. Do you feel like the energy you get from fans in this building Embrace it. the best from you? Embrace it. Embrace it. It's the dark side. Embrace it. That was ESPN NBA reporter and excellent question asker Nick Friedle, uh holding Kyrie Irving's feet to the fire there a little bit. I appreciated that exchange, Harry, for what it's worth because Nick – you know, was able to point out, hey, we don't see this happen all that often from you. You try to, you're staging the court. You try to act all zen and holier than thou, and many times <laughs> trying to act like you're smarter than everyone else. But Kyrie is alluding to the fact that he does this regularly. He said this is not just the first time that we caught it. Like, I'm not really sure what to make of that from him because it kind of felt like the line of questioning. He felt like he was getting attacked there, and he almost came across defensive in a lot of ways. And, you know, if you're going to quote-unquote ask the fans to keep that same energy, then you better keep that same energy when you're up at the podium addressing your actions in the middle of the game. Well, first and foremost, it, there's hostility. I don't care what Kyrie Irving says. It's hostility, the way he feels uh, against the Boston uh, Celtics fans. It's hostility, the way they feel about him. And it's evident that it's hostility because we've seen the double bird finger multiple times. Not one time, not two times, probably three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And he wasn't times. even trying to be slick about it. The whole no. thing that he did that was caught on camera when he does it behind his head and, like, shakes his hands and the crowd's going crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know what he was trying to do. By doing it that way, it felt like he was trying to be a little like under the radar about it, but also we'll send a message like, go ahead. And if you're going to do that, go two fingers high in the air. And I want everybody to see it, all the cameras to see it, not trying to like hide it behind your head. But I digress. Courtney, I would have been worried for Boston Celtics fans to see Kyrie after that game if they would have won. Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure he would have did something to let the crowd know mm -hmm. that I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. In each game that I play against the Boston Celtics, y'all are going to have to feel me. And y'all are going to have to feel me hard. But I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I even tweeted it. After 1-3 Kyrie Irving hit, and I thought it was going to be the dagger, I tweeted, the Celtics fans better leave Kyrie Irving alone because he's about to hand their ass an ale. And it almost happened into the last play of the game. Woo. Yeah, and I mean, before the start of this series, he said that it's time for Boston fans to move on. So if that's truly what you think, why would you respond to the criticism and the antics that are going on in the stands that are directed towards you? If you were really trying to take that moral high ground, it feels like he's not able to do such that. But, you know, he's no stranger to stoking the flames here. Remember, he played there for two seasons, and before the 18-19 season, he said he wanted to sign that long-term deal with the, con with the Celtics, only to change his mind at the end of the season, and then he goes to the Nets. Last year... 
Game four of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals, he stepped on the Celtics logo at center court. It wasn't in a subtle manner at all. You remember that little stomp that he gave the, the logo, and people threw someone threw a water bottle at him. That person obviously spent some time in jail, but you know, nonetheless, his actions have you know have predicated a lot of the things that happened. Now, obviously, yesterday it was a tight game. It was an intense game, and it was probably the best game that we saw during the weekend. So, of course, tempers are going to flare. Emotions are going to be high, but him feeding into it, I'm not so certain that that's the best thing for the Brooklyn Nets. Like, are his interactions with Boston fans going to be a distraction for his team from game two on? We're going to find out here soon. I'll be honest, no. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. If anything, Bruce Brown, Seth Curry, it should light a fire in them to go out there and see uh, Kyrie Irving playing at the level he's playing playing at against his former team and to see the fans heckle heckle him or whatnot. They need to step their play up because they had subpar games. They didn't play as well. Bruce Brown was in foul trouble. Andre Drummond as well, he was in foul trouble. They didn't give this Brooklyn Nets team the stability that they needed outside of Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And even Kevin Durant, he didn't have a good game. He was 9 for 24, only had 23 points. And there were certain moments in this game where he felt like, I felt like he wasn't even present in the game uh, because of his play uh, in the defense of the Boston Celtics. So I don't think, moving forward, I don't think it's going to be a distraction. If anything, they're going to rally around Kyrie and say, you know what, this is our guy, we have your back. We got to step it up more and be better to go along with you. What I would be concerned about is not just how it's going to affect Kyrie Irving, because I do think it could be a distraction, but the rest of his teammates. Yes, Kevin Durant has played in incredibly hostile environments before and has also played that villain role throughout his career and going back to Oklahoma City after he left for Golden State. But everybody else who has not been a part of that, and when you're in a place like TD Garden that's going to be the peak of the playoff environment where you've got fans that feel like they're ready to fight. I mean, obviously this didn't transgress to like the point where people are going in the stands or things are getting thrown, but I worry about it taking that next step because we have seen that happen before. And even last year when he steps on the logo and gets a water bottle thrown at him as he is going to the locker room through the tunnel. That was a straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Straight ahead, how justified was Kyrie with his actions towards and comments about Boston fans? We're going to get into that next here on ESPN Radio. But first, Harry's going to tell you about Indeed. If April is showering your company with open positions, then check out Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform makes it simple to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Just sponsor a post and get matched instantly with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed meet your job description. Then invite them to apply and get connected. No more jumping from site to software to cell phone. You can easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all on Indeed dashboard. Get started at Indeed.com slash credit. Smart dribbles inside the arc to Tatum. Layup's good at the horn. Boston wins it. Jason Tatum at the horn. The Celtics take game one. All right, we mentioned the Celtics, so let's go ahead and bring in Gary Washburn, Boston Globe National NBA writer, joining Courtney Cronin. And Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. Uh, Gary, I'm going to start with Kyrie Irving first because we haven't put a bow on this yet. His comments towards the fans in TD Garden and the potential 
consequences for that. Do we know anything more about what the NBA is going to do as far as potentially fining him for the comments that he made post game and what happened during the game? I'm absolutely sure he'll get some type of fine. Um, you know, if you want to put it like a litmus test or, or put it up against something else, uh, the Miles Bridges throwing his mouthpiece into the crowd uh, after the Atlantic playing game, he got 50000 for that. So I don't think Kyrie gets 50000 but he gets a slap on the wrist from the league that says, listen, Kyrie, we understand your frustration, uh, but you got to conduct yourself a little bit better, uh, even though obviously the Boston fans, some of the Boston fans, uh, weren't exactly nice to him uh, throughout the game. Gary, I want to ask you about the fans of Boston. Kyrie says he just wished those guys would move on, guys and ladies would move on about their business. But my question for you, is the Boston fan base, are they wired that way? Or is this the one city to where fans, they're going to be on you no matter what and for how long they want to be? Well, it's a personal thing with Kyrie Irving. It's not, I mean, they don't do that for Kevin Durant. They have respect for the great stars of the league. But when you kind of turn yourself into an enemy, and Kyrie, his tenure in Boston was troubled from the start. Um, You know, he didn't get along with his teammates. He threw a lot of his teammates under the bus, a young Tatum, a young Jalen Brown. He had some difficult relationships. And then he promised that he would re-sign uh, kind of, you know, without being provoked, he without being asked, he volunteered that information. Then suddenly there's that infamous tape of him and Kevin Durant talking in the tunnel before the All-Star game in Charlotte. And, you know, Kyrie's adamantly telling Durant something, basically trying to convince him that we can go somewhere else and play. Kyrie denied it was about free agency. And then in, the, in his last series of the Celtic, the Milwaukee series, where they were spanked 4-1, to one, he gave – many possessions on defense he didn't try. And that was perceived as him giving up on his team. He was ready for his, his tenure to be over in Boston, and he was ready to go to Brooklyn. He was already signed, still delivered. They just didn't, you know, help his image. It didn't help his situation because the Celtics gave up a very popular player in Isaiah Thomas in that trade. And although Isaiah has never been the same after that hip injury, he was beloved in Boston. And you thought, you know, if you're a Celtics fan, here comes a, a – a, NBA champion, Olympian, all-star. He's going to take the Celtics to another level, and it never worked out that way. Him stepping on the logo, some of his statements, uh, some of the his racial uh, accusations against the Boston fans have all just not helped the situation at all. We're talking with Gary Washburn, national NBA writer for the Boston Globe here on ESPN Radio. Let's talk a little bit about those final moments of the game when Marcus Smart passes up the three-pointer, fakes it, and dishes the ball to Jason Tatum, had 31 points in the game. He gets all of the accolades and the love here, but I want to know from your perspective about how Marcus Smart has become sort of this game-changer for the Boston Celtics and could you know play that role continuously in this series here against the Nets. What stood out to you the most about him, and, and particularly the, like the position he put himself in there at the end of the game to pass up that open look and, and help the Celtics escape with the win? Yeah, Courtney, Marcus Smart has had, you know, I asked him earlier this year, he, he's in his eighth season. He's only, you know, 
He's only like 27 years old, but it seems like he's been in Boston 12 to 15 years. I mean, it seems like he's he's been here. He came in with Pierce or something. I mean, it just seems like he's been here forever. And he's been through the ups and downs. And he's played up and down over the years, sometimes taking too many shots, sometimes, you know, some boneheaded plays. But he's always been the heart and soul of the team. And this year he's harnessed all of that, all of his talent. He's kind of refined his game, taken fewer shots played better defense, been more consistent, and been a floor leader. Because when Ime Odoka took over as coach, he said, Marcus Smart's my point guard. Because remember last year that Kimball Walker. That didn't work out. And the, uh, the, the perception was the Celtics need to find a point guard now, right? And Udoka said, Marcus is my guy. And Marcus has lived up to, to those expectations. He's played well. He's taken the right shots. You know, two, three years ago, Marcus probably launches a three with two defenders at him to try to be the hero. You know, he played a lot of hero ball in his early years. This time, he used that, you know, their aggressiveness against them. He drove through the lane, drove into the lane, threw it to Tatum, game-winning layup. That's the kind of plays that Marcus Smart has learned to make more often and more consistently, and that's why he's an indispensable part in this team and likely the defensive player of the year. I want to talk about the defense of this team. You look at the last defensive possession that the Boston Celtics had, and Marcus Smart not allowing Kyrie Irving to go right and basically t- making him turn down any ball screen that he wanted. But then you get Al Horford coming up the double team and everybody else being locked in. Then the pass getting thrown to Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum committed to the defensive end. Looking at this team defensively from January all the way up to this point, to you, is it a surprise that they're even title contenders or favorites? Um, I mean, to me, it was a situation where they had to get the ball out of Kyrie's hands. Kyrie was so magnificent yesterday. I mean, you could say what you want about him off the floor and some of his beliefs, some of his statements. When the dude is right, he's right. He's one of the top 75 players. He's likely a future Hall of Famer. I mean, he was just magnificent. I think the Celtics defense chased him to the point where the next best option was Kevin Durant, and, and the Celtics took that option. They said, We'll let Durant shoot it because he's off, and we'll have – we just got to get the ball to Kyrie's hands. And I think that, unfortunately, when you get two ball-dominant scores like that, sometimes you don't trust your teammates as much. There had to be someone open. It was kind of Durant, but then Durant had, was way out past the three-point line, had to take a force three with Tatum uh, closing in. But, you know, when you, you take your chances when you rely on two dominant scores that way. And I just think – the Nets have to figure out a way, if they're going to be title contenders, to get other guys involved. Seth Curry, Patty Mills, they've got to have other guys score. Goran Dragic, I thought, had a very nice game, and Claxton had a nice game. But they've got to learn how to trust their teammates in the clutch because teams are going to prepare for Irving or Durant to uh, take that last shot. And they blitzed Kyrie because, obviously, you don't let him shoot at that point. He was so hot. So they put it on Durant. And Durant, who had an off day, you know, missed that contested three. Gary, one more bef- before we let you go. We we're mentioning Jason Tatum here. He's five seasons in uh, to his NBA career. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, having covered him so closely, do you feel like he's ascended to the superstar level? Like, can we finally put him in that top 10, maybe top 13 conversation of NBA players? Yeah, Courtney, I think you can. And I think that's something that, you know, he's not a real vocal guy. I mean, he's become more vocal. 
You know, he was real robotic when he came into the league. You know, after a year with Mike Krzyzewski, he just, you know, was very shy. And over the years, he just kind of emerged and grown. Obviously, he was he was 18 when he came to Boston. Now he's 24. He's a dad. So he is a guy who has matured in front of our eyes. And I think that he has looked at around the league and looked at his talent, his skill set, and said, you know what, I can be one of the best players in the league. And I think he wants to prove in this series, I'm the best dude on the floor. Was he yesterday? You could argue that was Kyrie was the best player on the floor. But I think Jason Tatum looked at this series and says, you know what, yeah, I want to win. That's number one. I want to take the sucks to the next round. But I also want to prove I'm the best dude on the floor. I got much respect for Kevin Durant, all-time great, same college, you know, him and Kyrie Irving share the Duke connections there. But I think Tatum says to himself, I'm the best dude on this floor, and I'm going to prove it every night. And I think that's what's different, that drive to be great. And so I think you have to put him in that top 15. I think he was angered by not making All-NBA last year. that cost him $30 million in his contract. And I don't think he's let that go. I think that's always been in the back of his mind. And I don't think he wants to leave any doubts this year. Well, if he wants to uh, continue to rise in the ranks there, he can have another performance like he did in Game 1, dropping 31 points in the win over the Brooklyn Nets, including the last-second buzzer beater. Game 2 of the series, Nets-Celtics, taking place Wednesday at 7 p.m. He is Gary Washburn, national NBA writer for the Boston Globe, joining Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. Gary, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, I'm going to open up the phone lines. Would love to know from the listeners how justified Kyrie Irving was with his action towards Boston fans during Game 1. We're going to take your calls throughout the show, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. But coming up next, Gary mentioned a couple things that I think we need to dive a little bit uh, further on with Jason Tatum. I forget sometimes, Harry. He came into the league when he was 18 years old, coming Mm -hmm. off of that freshman season that he had at Duke. We're going to get into where he ranks among the top NBA players coming up next here on ESPN Radio, ESPN app. ESPN Radio. It wasn't just the court at TD Garden where Kyrie Irving was getting into it with fans as he walked to the locker room in the hallway, had a uh, not-safe-for-work type exchange with a fan who said in uh, no short terms, you stink, Kyrie Irving, and that I obviously can't say all that was exchanged there because... 
This is a family radio station, (laughs) and uh, ESPN's parent company is Disney, but you can go check those out yourself. Uh, Kyrie Irving wanted all of the smoke from Boston fans in a game one loss uh, in the Nets playoff series with the Celtics, his former team. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN+. We're asking you, the caller, how justified was Kyrie with his actions towards Boston fans? The number to get in. Triple eight say ESPN eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. Let's go out to Allen in South Dakota. Allen, you're on ESPN Radio. What you got? Hey, um, I just want to say I think it's fair play here um, because uh, Kyrie said he's giving the fans the same energy that they're giving to him. Plus, on top of that, I think there's a media misconception that a lot of people don't like Kyrie. I feel like me and a lot of people really do like Kyrie because he's one of the realest NBA players. I think so. I think his emotions are completely who he is, and it's fair game. Alan, thanks so much for the call. He certainly, Harry, is someone who wears his emotions on his sleeve in spite of trying to act like he's above all of those things with some of the actions that he displays and the holier-than-thou nature of his actions. But... You know, I think Allen does have a point here. Not everyone hates Kyrie Irving. Like, I feel like he likes to take on that notion, but it's certainly not true. There are a lot of people who love Kyrie Irving and watching him play. Well, I was just watching all the tweets yesterday after as the game was tran- um, tra- transpiring and going along, and so many people who had the appreciation and the love for Kyrie's game and the way he plays the game of basketball – and I will reiterate, that's one reason why Stephen A. Smith is so upset that Kyrie isn't playing a whole season or isn't vaccinated is because uh-huh. he's so dang on talented. And these are the types of things that he presents to a game of basketball every time he steps out on the court. Now, I'll be honest, and I'll tell you this. When that game came down to crunch time, you want to know who I wanted with that basketball yesterday? And normally I say Kevin Durant. I wanted Kyrie and nobody but Kyrie to have that basketball and I would have loved for him to take that last shot on that last offensive uh, possession that they had and not Kevin Durant because he was locked in and he was ready for all the smoke. Now, the only thing I would say to Kyrie is that when you say you want to see if the fans are really about it, the city of Boston might be one place where those fans are actually about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Those guys, when they fight, they fight with a purpose. So that might be the one city that you might not want to say that in because – they are about that life in Boston. Yeah, I mean, they won't back down from that challenge. And what Kyrie said post game was that he's giving them that same energy that he's receiving. But he's also the same person, Harry, who said that Boston fans need to move on. And it was three years ago that he played there. Yes, he was the quote unquote scorned girlfriend or whatever uh, <laughs> the the analogy was when he left and, and Boston fans were upset about it because he said he wanted the long-term deal to stay with the Celtics and ends up going to join forces with Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. But I have to wonder, is there a statue of limitations here for Kyrie Irving or for anybody who deals with this sort of stuff? Because I covered Kevin Durant in his first season with the Golden State Warriors, where going back to Oklahoma City, you're wondering if a fight's about to break out in the stands and on the court between Russ and KD and you know all of the vitriol that was there. It felt like, okay, You can have this for one season. We understand you're upset because he left you behind and went to ring chase. This has been several years now that Kyrie Irving has played with the Brooklyn Nets. He didn't start out his career in Boston. It's not like he was drafted and and developed there. He started his career in Cleveland. Like, how many years can Boston fans and Kyrie Irving keep this thing going back and forth? 
it's easier said than done. It's like a it's like a boyfriend or a girlfriend who gets hurt by their significant other, right? The significant other gets caught cheating, and you continuously tell the person who got cheated on, hey, just move on. But it's just not that easy. Sometimes it's just not that, not that easy, Courtney. And for the Boston fans who I, who I think are on a different level than a lot of other fans, they feel hurt by Kyrie. And they're not going to let it go anytime soon, especially not in this series. But I will tell you this. I'm here for it. I have my popcorn. I have my Sprite because I love drinking Sprite. And in every game that they play, that's in Boston, I'm going to be tuned in, and I want to see the fans rowdy. I want to see Kyrie Irving doing his little gestures once or twice, not nine times, Mm -hmm. once or twice. And then I want to see how the game is going to fare out at the end because this is the most anticipated – this might be the most anticipated – matchup that we get throughout the playoffs and that's the finals included so I'm here for all of it and I have my popcorn ready I'm here for it until it becomes a legitimate distraction or until somebody ends up getting fined repeatedly or potentially suspended and and I know that this is not a direct correlation but I covered the Warriors during the six during the uh, 16-17 season uh, and before that the 15-16 season when Draymond Green was suspended during the Finals, I believe it was game five, and and because of the stuff that happened on the court. And obviously those are related to technical fouls. Kyrie Irving isn't in any sort of that same sort of trouble, but the Steven Adams incident was one thing. And then the ego started getting involved, and Draymond saying, if you don't have any haters, you ain't popping, and all that stuff. And then lo and behold, it happens again in Cleveland, and he's suspended for a game when the Warriors absolutely needed him. I don't want to see Kyrie Irving this escalate to a point where Kyrie Irving is not able to play in a game and costing the Brooklyn Nets a, a, game, a, a win in a playoff series because he's already cost them enough having to be the seventh seed because he didn't play for half the season due to his choice of the vaccine. Like, don't put yourself or your teammates in a situation where they're going to have to be affected if this thing gets to a certain level where it's out of control. Like, trash talk and all of that stuff is fun until it's not. And sometimes we see that happen. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Be sure to tune in on Wednesday for Nets Celtics Game 2. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. All right, straight ahead, we're going to get into the Golden State Warriors. Are they really the biggest threat to the Suns in the West? That's next, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. ESPN Radio. 
Courtney Cronin, Harry Douglas with you on ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN+. Plus. The Golden State Warriors entered the playoffs on a five-game win streak. They extended that to six with a 123-107 win over Denver, mixing a little bit of old with the new. Steph Curry coming off the bench, Klay Thompson's first playoff action since the final series in 19, and of course Jordan Poole's incredible emergence that we have seen this season. So are they the biggest threat to the Phoenix Suns in the West. Our teammate, ESPN radio host Chris Canty, thinks that the Dubs are the team to beat. The Golden State Warriors are the team to beat, period. I mean, when you look at what they did, they had 33 assists on 43 makes, Carlin. The way that they share the basketball, having 10 guys playing north of 13 minutes, the sheer depth that they have, it's going to be hard to compete with the different machinations, the different lineups that Steve Kerr can throw at you. And so I love the Golden State Warriors to not only make it through the Western Conference, but to actually hold up the Larry O Trophy. And I tweeted this out over the weekend. If you got Draymond Green knocking down threes as the shot clock is winding down, you might as well gift wrap the Larry O'Brien Trophy and send it to the Bay Area because there's not going to be nobody that can beat the Golden State Warriors. Not only if Draymond is as a playmaker, but if he's a shot maker, that could be a big problem for the rest of the NBA. I don't think that anybody's arguing, Harry, that Denver and uh, Utah and Dallas are not threats whatsoever to the Golden to the Golden State Warriors or even to the Phoenix Suns. But do you feel like the Warriors are in a different class in terms of what they could potentially do to Phoenix here in the Western Conference playoffs? Yeah, I think they're the team that gives them uh, the most challenges when, when you look at the totality of everything in the Western Conference. They have the experience. They have the people that can score offensively. Um, Memphis, when I look at Memphis, I think they struggle to shoot the basketball. You look at their first game against the Minnesota uh, Timberwolves, and that was the case, from a th- especially from a three-point line. Now, the only thing when I look at the Warriors is that when they say they make it to the finals, right, one of these teams come out the east, let's just say the Boston Celtics, a team that can switch one through five on every guy that you have, that's when in the past – this Golden State Warriors uh, team has had issues and problems. Teams that can also do that, Miami. The only thing about Miami is that they don't have the bona fide scores that the Warriors have. But then you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, another team that can switch one through five when they take Brooke Lopez out because the Phoenix Suns picked on him last year in the pick-and-roll ordeal. So I, I, I can actually see them coming out of the West. They decided that they wanted to uh, debut their vintage death lineup. we got to find a new name for that uh, as they get ready for Game 2 coming up here Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. What defines an NBA superstar? Is it rings? Is it accolades? Is it stats? Could a superstar player just be the merits of an eye test? Who knows? But as it pertains to Jason Tatum, it feels like he has certainly ascended to superstar status in the NBA. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN+. Plus. He is Harry Douglas. I am Courtney Cronin, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Jason Tatum in Game 1, a 115-114 last-second win for the Boston Celtics over the Brooklyn Nets, has the buzzer beater shot, and he was set up in a big way there, Harry, by Marcus Smart, his teammate who passed up the open look three, pump fake there, and then dished it off to Smart down in the low post uh, to seal the deal for Boston. And it made me question 
where do I have Jason Tatum in my power rankings of NBA players? Like, he's part of this young gun era, you know, the next generation of superstars that are coming in, but is he already at that upper echelon of talent? Um, It feels like you can make the argument that he is, and he's already been playing five seasons. That's the thing to me that's so wild. When he came into the league so young, and now he's 24 years old, just the difference that time makes in, in putting him in a different category than maybe he's been in the last four years. Yeah, I think Jason Tatum is a superstar. And I honestly have him as one of the top guys that can beat you one-on-one in the National Basketball Association. I think he's that good. Now, the things that separate him from a lot of other players, I believe, is the ability to be able to play defense. We've seen on the last series for them defensively, stick with Kevin Durant all the way, as you see on the screen right now, and just play that defense to a level that playoff defense, you know what I mean, Just, just there. But the thing that I think he's grown the most is being able to facilitate and make the right play, not just shoot every shot just because you can and you have a great chance of making it, but make sure your teammates get involved as well. I think that's big for Jason Tatum. Um, I love what he presents to the game. I love how his teammates embraced him. And I got to give him credit because at the beginning of the year, a lot of people were talking about him and Jalen Brown possibly need to break up. That's not the case now. They have been committed to one another. They have been committed to the team and what the team needs first. But the, the IQ of Jason Tatum on that last play to, to say, you know what, let me go cut to the basket. Let me not be the Brooklyn Nets and just stand around and watch Marcus Smart with the basketball in his hands. I thought that was huge as well. But the ability to be able to score at will, uh, facilitate and get his teammates involved, but then stipend down and play a hard-nosed defense on, I say, the greatest score that we've ever seen in this game in Kevin Durant. I thought that was big time. And he is a superstar. He's not a guy who's trying to become one. He's a superstar right now in this league to me. Every yeah. year he's been in the NBA, he's gotten better and better and better. And I think this year we're seeing the fruits of that labor. It's funny you mentioned how Jason Tatum didn't get caught watching Marcus Smart because you know who did? Kevin Durant. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was frozen there at the top of the key as Jason Tatum cuts to the low post and is able to take the dish from Marcus Smart to seal the deal here. And I wonder, you know, that's the maturation process of an NBA player, right? Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe, he covers the NBA in a national perspective, has covered Jason Tatum, though, since he entered the league. And, And we caught up with him a little bit ago. And, you know, he was talking about how he's matured in front of our eyes, that he looked around the league. He looked at guys like Kevin Durant, who most times he ends up getting matched up with because of the size and the length that the two of them possess, and he realized that he can be one of the best players in the league, and proving to be one of the best on the floor is something that he did last night. Like, 31 points in a really critical situation there at the end of the game where he seals the fate for the Boston Celtics to walk off winners there at home. That's superstar stuff. That's the stuff of coming, you know, the cream rising to the top in the most important moments of the game. And it feels like we can finally make sure that we have him in that top 10, top certainly top 15 conversation going forward of NBA players. I got him in the top 10. But okay. usually when you see offensive-minded players, you don't see them committed to the defensive end like you see Jason Tatum. And I think that's what separates him from a lot of people in the, in the National Basketball Association is his commitment to the defensive end against a guy like a Kevin Durant. He even blocked one of Kyrie's shots that we knew had a great chance of probably going in during that game as well. 
Jason Tatum also said that he learned everything of what not to do from Kyrie Irving, so that adds a little bit more uh, smoke uh, to the to the flames mm. there in that rivalry, and it's certainly going to be a fun one. Straight ahead, the Milwaukee Bucks escaped their game one ser- game one win uh, with the Chicago Bulls that series, but are we concerned about the way that they're playing? We're going to get into that next here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. 